All right, John chapter 7. We're going to finish chapter 7 today. And our text begins in verse 40. And we'll read just a few verses and then we'll, we'll move on from there. It says, therefore, many, and you'll note that that word many, there's a note next to it. So some read some. <laughs> so therefore, many or some from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, truly, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? And has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now, some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. And Father, we pray that as we look at these verses and the verses that follow this morning, we ask, as we always ask, Lord, that you would teach us, that you'd give us life application. Lord, we thank you that your word is alive. So it's not just reading about things that had taken place, but there's always things that we could draw for our own personal lives, and we pray that you'd help us to do that today. So teach us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as is... Uh, seen here, it's made mention, when they heard the saying. Of course, the saying refers to what we looked at last week, the saying of Jesus, the declaration, the invitation that Jesus made on the last day, the final day, the greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles, when he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of water. And so the response from the people who heard these things, well, it was varied. If I was to title my Bible studies, which I don't, um, if it's a topical study, I might give a name. But I remember back in the day when everything was back on uh, cassettes and then we went to CDs and now no one uses either one, you know. Um, but I used to have to title each one so that they would know which one to pull out, you know, if you wanted a copy of it. But if I was to title this particular study, it would be something like, everyone has an opinion. And that's true, everyone has an opinion. I mean, some said that truly this is the prophet, referring to the prophet that Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy chapter 18, that God would raise up a prophet like me, he said to the children of Israel back then, and that they were to hear him. And of course, we know from Acts chapter 3 that Jesus indeed is that prophet, and of course, much more, but he is that prophet that Moses spoke of. Others said, this is the Christ. Uh, he's the Messiah. And, and of course, um, you know, guys, they're, they're right on, on both accounts, these, these people, as they're sharing their opinion. But then there were others in the group that said, well, will the Christ come out of Galilee? So they're, they're, they're wondering, you know, they're, they're asking the right questions, you know. We know that Jesus, he spends a lot of his time in the Galilee, and, and will the Messiah come out of the Galilee? And so they're questioning those things. And then others, or maybe the same group, said, 
They weren't reasoning just with their minds, you know, but they were reasoning from the scriptures. And they said, has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David? And of course it does. The scripture does say that. In 2 Samuel, of course we know that chapter 7, that Jesus would come from the seed of and the house of David and Isaiah chapter 11 and other places. Of course we know that David uh, that Jesus is the son of David. He comes from the house of David. So all of these things are true. Um, Micah, the prophet, told us that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem in David's hometown, Micah 5.2. And of course, Jesus was. So you have all of these varied opinions. And then we get to the bottom of that section. And it says, still others, um, well, they wanted to take him. Now, you know, as you read that, you say, take him where? <laughs> where did they want to take him? Take him out to lunch? And, of course, that's not what was uh, <laughs> being spoken of here. The word take, it literally means to seize, to arrest, to capture. So, guys, as, as Bible students, of course, we don't, you know, from week to week, we're only covering a small portion of the text. That's why it's so beneficial for each one of us to read through and to continue to read through whatever book of the Bible we might be uh, studying at any given time. You know, presently on Wednesday nights, we're doing um, Psalms. So we have no plan. We have no schedule. Uh, I don't know what, what Nate's going to do until I come in on Wednesday night and either see it on the screen down there or he tells us to open our Bible to Psalm whatever. And the same uh, he for me. And, and so we're just kind of teaching through the Psalms as we feel led to do so. But on Sunday mornings, you know, we're doing a verse-by-verse -verse study through John. And so you know where we've been. You know where we're going. And if you read it, you'll be able to keep the flow of it. You say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it's important because we saw earlier on in John chapter 7, in verse 32, it says the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Same word used there, to take him. They wanted him to be arrested. And so they sent the officers. The officers were not the Roman soldiers. The officers were Jews. They worked at the temple there. They were kind of the security for the, for the temple uh, precinct. And so they went to arrest uh, Jesus, and, um, and we're going to see them in just a moment. We're going to come back to that. So everyone has an opinion. And some of their opinions were accurate. You know, yes, he is, he is the, the, the prophet that Moses spoke of, and he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And, and uh, yes, he did come out of Galilee, but he's not from Galilee. Um, and, uh, you know, it is true that the Messiah will come from the household, from the family line of of David, all of these things are true. So look what it says in verse 45. Then the officers came to the chief priest and Pharisees who said to them, why have you not brought him? So again, back in 32, verse 32, we sent you to arrest him. And now you've come back, where is he? In fact, you'll note in our text today that Jesus doesn't, he's not present. All of these things are happening. John is telling us that these things happen after Jesus made the statement, gave the invitation. Then Jesus, you know, wherever he went, he, he went. 
And so this is the reaction of the people, the reaction of the people that were gathered there, who heard Jesus say the things he said, who saw the things that Jesus had been doing or had heard about what Jesus had been doing, and then the reaction of the religious leaders. So you see that there's a division. People have different opinions about things. There's surely a division between the religious establishment and the common people, the worshipers who came to Jerusalem, to the temple there, to celebrate, to remember the Feast of Tabernacles. And so the Pharisees, they're the guys in charge. I mean, you have the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, you know, the scribes, and you have these religious leaders, and they all played a, a different role within the religious system of Israel. But of course, the Pharisees seem to be prominent in the gospel accounts. Um, I remember when I used to do children's ministry, we would talk about the Pharisees, who weren't very fair, you see, and the Sadducees, who didn't believe in miracles or angels or anything super, uh, you know, supernatural. And we said that, you see, they're sad, you see, you know, <laughs> and try to give these illustrations so that the kids might remember the different groups. So they asked the question, and here's the answer. Verse 46, the officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. No man ever spoke like this man. And we gather that from the gospel accounts, don't we? That people were taken by the words of Jesus. You know, guys, we need to remember that because we live in a day and age where a lot of people, I'm not saying you here, but a lot of people kind of chase after signs and wonders. That's the proof of, of, of Jesus being who he is, if there's signs and wonders. But you'll note in the scriptures that it was the words of Jesus that drew people to Jesus, not the signs and wonders. The signs and wonders, they played their part, but their part really was limited. In one sense, you might say that the, the signs and wonders, maybe it was kind of like a, a baited hook, you know, it caught the interest of the people. But the words of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, is what kept people there abiding with Jesus. And so the officers are sent to arrest Jesus, but they're arrested. They're, they're caught, you know, their attention is now given over to him because no one ever spoke as he spoke. I can't wait to see Jesus. I can't wait to be in his presence. I can't wait to hear his voice. I read the book of Revelation and we have all of these pictures and types and symbols and, and, and these beautiful things, you know. We have his voice, the sound of many waters or a waterfall. And you just say, what is that like? And we just can't even imagine. We know that when he would speak, people would react. Remember when Mary was there in the garden, everyone else had left, they figured, well, the body's gone, or Lord's gone, and they're bummed out and depressed. And, and Mary just couldn't get herself to leave that location because that was, that was the location where her body, the body of her Lord, was, was last seen. And so she's there. She sees a man in the garden. She assumes he's a gardener. You know, where have you taken him? 
And it wasn't until he spoke, Jesus spoke her name. And when he spoke her name, her reaction was immediate. She just lunged onto Jesus and grasped onto him. You know, I can't wait. Uh, we know in the scriptures that the Lord knows our name. Isn't that special? It's not just, you know, I know your name's Jim, your name's Bob. Your name, no, I, I think it's much more intimate than that. He knows our name. He knows our character. He knows our nature. So they said, well, you know, uh, they come back empty-handed because no one, no man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, are you also deceived? I want you to note the manipulation, the, uh, the arrogance of these religious leaders. He's, they are insulting their intelligence. Well, not really. They're mocking their lack of spiritual insight, their lack of knowledge when it comes to the law. Of course, they were the experts of the law. And so they asked the question, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, so this crowd that's going after Jesus, but this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. And then Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus is one of them. So Nicodemus is, remember John chapter 3, Nicodemus is, as Jesus put it, the teacher of Israel. You, the teacher of Israel, don't know these things? Remember, you must be born again, Nicodemus. Nicodemus, when he came to Jesus, we know that he came to Jesus alone. It was at night, but he represented others. And I think it's safe to say he represented others, other Pharisees. And when Nicodemus came to Jesus, he knew, he knew this. He knew, we know that you've come from God. See, his understanding was limited, but at least he knew that. Because Nicodemus, he reasoned from the scriptures and just logic. And he says, no one can do these things you do unless God was with him. So we know that you've come from God. And of course, he has this interaction with Jesus and the Lord showed compassion to Nicodemus. And we know, as students of the Bible, that when you get to the end of John's gospel account, so remember guys, John, John is the one who tells us about Nicodemus. Matthew doesn't mention Nicodemus at all. Mark doesn't mention Nicodemus. Luke doesn't mention Nicodemus. Only John tells us about Nicodemus. He introduces us to Nicodemus. And here we see Nicodemus again. And Nicodemus is kind of the voice of reason. So they're, you know, insulting the crowd. And Nicodemus, it says, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? So this is a voice of reason. Slow down, guys. Slow down. Um, you, you want to uh, pour out judgment and wrath on this man, and you really don't even know. You haven't even taken the time to question him. Now, I would suggest that the other Pharisees had no idea that Nicodemus went 
to Jesus that night. Maybe there were a few that knew that Nicodemus went to Jesus, that he was representing, you know, the group. But, but it's almost as if, though he does not say it, it's almost as if Nicodemus could say, you know, guys, you need to slow down. At least I met with him. And I questioned him. Or at least I tried to. And he took control of the conversation right away. I, you know, when you read John chapter 3, that's what we see. I mean, it's like the, the two just kind of come. Nicodemus comes there and, and he's a, you know, he, he just says a few words, you know. And then Jesus says, you must be born again. He goes, well, wait a minute. I haven't what, what are we talking about? You must be born again. That which is born of water is water uh, is of the flesh, you know. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so on and so forth. And, and Jesus just kind of takes captive of the conversation it doesn't go the way Nicodemus probably thought it would go but I'm sure he left amazed so Nicodemus we're introduced to him by John in chapter 3 in chapter 7 we see Nicodemus again when we get to the uh, end of John's gospel account we see Nicodemus again where do we see him we see him burying the body of Jesus and we're told by John, John gives a commentary on this. He tells us that Joseph of Arimathea, who was a wealthy man, who happened to own the tomb that no one had laid in. So it was a, a hewn out tomb, but no, no remains were laid in that tomb. But he owned it. And Nicodemus, they came with about 100 pounds of spice, we're told, I think, from Matthew. And um, they kind of prepared the body of Jesus in haste, because, of course, they only had a limited period of time. The women came after the Sabbath was over. So they came on the first day of the week uh, to do what? To give Jesus' body a proper burial. That was the whole purpose. They didn't come there to see if he resurrected from the dead because they were not, it was not computing, even though Jesus told them precisely that these things would happen. So, guys, Nicodemus... The voice of reason. We need that. We need to be the voice of reason. We need to be the ones who aren't just reacting, responding, just saying whatever comes you know, to mind. But we slow down and we reason through these things. Now I want you to note their reaction. Nicodemus is one of them. Nicodemus may have been prominent among them. Um, Nicodemus might have been considered a father figure among the Pharisees. And yet because Nicodemus dared to stand up for Jesus, and he was simply saying, our law. And that was true of the law of God, so the, the law of God, and also the rabbinical law. It says so you can't accuse a man, you cannot condemn a man without certain steps. There has to be witnesses, and, and we need to question the person, and you guys are so quick to want to get rid of him, you know, and you need to slow down. And because he dared speak out, in verse 52 it says, they answered and said to him, are you also from Galilee? Guys, I want us to understand what's happening here. They insulted the group that was suggesting that Jesus was the prophet, the Christ, these different questions that they had 
they insulted them by saying, in essence, you don't study the law, you don't know the law, therefore you don't keep the law, you are condemned. We know better. We're, we're the leaders, you know, we're the, we're the experts of the law. And so they, they kind of put the people down, you know, are you from Galilee? Now they're doing it to one of their own. By saying, are you from Galilee, in essence they're saying, are you ignorant as well? Are you stupid as well, Nicodemus? I mean, this was really an insult to Nicodemus. Maybe, and again, we don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us, but I wonder, I wonder what got Nicodemus from being a curious seeker to a disciple of Jesus, though one secretly. We know that he was a disciple of Jesus secretly because they feared their peers. And there's a bit of life application for us. If you fear your peers, if you're concerned about what they might say about you, then you're, you desire the praise of men more than the praise of God. And we need to be so careful that we don't do that, that we don't fall into that. I, I remember one time, you know, as a young... I, young Christian walking with the Lord for a few years and, and the Lord really spoke to me about some specific things um, on the very day that I gave my life to him, served my life to him and, and those things became uh, strong convictions in my life and you know, I was a carpenter and so I'm working with men all the time and there's something, you know, sometimes in a, an environment like that you kind of have this macho type of thing so the guys want to show how macho they are, you know. And, um, and there's a lot of uh, teasing or putting down or intimidation, at least it used to be like that. I don't know if it's like that as much anymore. And I remember one time we're working on a job and uh, two guys that I was working with, they said, hey, Dan, uh, I think they saw the bumper sticker on my vehicle or something, the fish, you know. And they said, are, are you one of those uh, Jesus freaks? And I remember my response. It was like an immediate response. And I just like said, no, I'm not a freak. I mean, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not one of those freaks. And I was so disappointed in myself because I was a Jesus freak. I was a freak for Jesus. I mean, but, I, but it was like I, in that moment, I feared what my peers, you know, these guys that could care less about me, you know, we're, we're going to be, move, we're going to be separated, we're going to be going to different job sites and living different lives, you know, and I was so concerned what these men thought of me in the moment. And I remember at that time, I remember saying, Lord, help me never, and all I could think of is Peter, you know. I don't even know who you're talking to. I don't even know him, you know. And, and then, you know, cursing and everything, you know, to make it seem legit. And I said, Lord, help me never to do that. But you could imagine, you know, what Nicodemus might have been feeling. Was this the catalyst? Was this the, you know, well, you guys are so dead set on putting Jesus to death. You haven't met with him? Maybe he's thinking to himself, I met with him. I've been following what he's been doing. 
It, it seems like there were Pharisees everywhere Jesus went, remember? Even when they're walking through a grain field. You, you, you know, the, <laughs> they're in the grain, you know, and they're spying out. What are the disciples doing now? Oh, they're eating without hands. Oh, they're laboring on the, on the Sabbath, you know. I mean, you just kind of think, where are these guys? You know, just kind of stealth, you know. SEAL team, whatever. <laughs> but Jesus had such an impact, obviously, upon Nicodemus. And you wonder, was it at this time that he began to think, you're my brothers. We study Torah together. We teach the common man Torah and now you're insulting me because I'm just simply saying the law says, both the law of God and the Torah, we're supposed to be the ones who uphold the law because I dared suggest that we slow our jets and, and, and maybe do what God told us to do. Now you're insulting me as being from Galilee, as being ignorant, and then they added, search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. So that was their logic. Well, I want us to go back, and, and this is the bit of life application that I personally drew from this. I'd, I'd like to draw your attention back to verse 43. Verse 43, it says, so there was a division among the people because of him. There was a division among the people because of him. And then John chapter 9, verse 16, you could turn there if you'd like. It's just a page or two over. It says, therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things and, and know what it says, and there was a division among them. And then chapter 10 of John, chapter 10 and verse 19 through 21. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Uh, why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So division. Can you kind of picture that in your mind's eye, in your imagination, what it might have been like? It's so hard for us because, you know, we're, we're, we're distracted people. Our generation is extremely distracted. distracted. We, are, we, we stick to ourselves. Um, you know, uh, what's happening over there, well, it doesn't concern me, I don't, I don't really care, you know, type of attitude. I mean, it has to be something that really gets our attention, you know. Uh, you know, plane went down on Main Street. Well, let's go look and see what it is, you know. Maybe that would get us together, you know. But you got to picture other cultures of the world. you got to picture other cultures, uh, other times, you know, like the biblical time. The people, they didn't have their cell phones, they weren't glued to their cell phones, you know texting away as they're walking down their road or path. The people didn't have any real outside entertainment. To have a teacher come in and to speak and then to have someone do what Jesus does. You know. 
You have thousands of people eating a miraculous meal, bread and fish. <laughs> I think that would get around, don't you? I can imagine people, because just human nature, you know, I can imagine people saying, you know, I don't, I don't know how he did it. But the fish and the bread, they just kept coming and coming and coming. And we ate and ate and ate. I never ate so much in my, and someone else piping in. And I got a, that was the best fish I ever had. Now, I don't know that it was the best fish they ever had, but you know how human nature is. You would just kind of throw that in. You know, I did the bread, it was like heavenly. It's kind of like manna, you know. And, and so when, whatever Jesus was doing, whatever Jesus was saying, whatever Jesus was teaching at any given time, the common people would be drawn to him. They would, they'd want to listen. They'd want to sit and at least listen to what he was saying. Not that everyone believed him, but many would come to faith in him. After, of course, the death, resurrection, death and resurrection of Jesus. Division. Would you turn, if you'd like, if not, I, it's on the screen there, but Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, yeah. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, Jesus, if you have a red letter Bible, um, you just kind of look at the page. There's a lot of red letters there. There's certain portions of your New Testament, your gospel accounts, um, where there's a lot of let red letters, you know, like the Sermon on the Mount. And I, I love that because you could just kind of picture what it must have been like. We don't have every single recorded word of Jesus. John makes this clear. Jesus said and did many other things. But these are written so that you might believe. So Jesus said something that is uh, difficult for a lot of people. It's difficult for a lot of professing Christians. In verse 34, he says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. This is unsettling because, you know, we say, well, wait a minute, the Christmas carol that we sing on every year, it talks about him bringing peace on earth. And, and wasn't that part of a, a prophecy that he would come and he would bring peace on earth? Yes. But it's not the peace that we think it is. Do you know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? I feel bad for a lot of Christians because, a lot of professing Christians, because you are malnourished when it comes to the word of God. And, or maybe it's just your church background, you know, you go to a church background. There's a lot of different beliefs on eschatology, on the things pertaining to the last days. And, um, you know, there's a lot of Christians that believe, well, you know, it's kind of like uh, I live, I die, I go to heaven. Period. And yet, when you read the Bible, there's a lot of things that happen. 
the Bible says for the believer, when we die, we're present with the Lord. So there's not the soul sleep. Some denominations teach soul sleep. So the soul just kind of goes into this slumber, this spiritual slumber until the resurrection. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says absent from the body, present with the Lord. So when someone who's placed their faith in Christ, when they die, what do we say typically? We say they've gone home. They've gone home. That's what we say. They've gone home. And we don't say, well, eventually they'll get there. No, we say they've gone home. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. So the Bible tells us that. The Bible tells us that a time is coming. Jesus told us that it's a time such as never taken place in the history of the world. It's coming upon the earth. Daniel tells us of the same time, he says, it's a time such as has never been since there's been a nation. The nation is not the United States. The Bible does not revolve around us. It revolves around <laughs> Israel. And it's the nation of Israel. So you have, you have this tribulation, seven-year tribulation. You say, oh, it's going to be horrible. End of the world. Armageddon. It's all over. No, 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 no. At the end of the tribulation, seven years, Jesus returns. That's called the second coming. Second coming, Jesus comes to the earth. He rides on a white horse, not Revelation chapter 6, but Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 6 is Antichrist on a white horse. Revelation chapter 19 is Jesus Christ. So he comes back. He fights the nations that are warring against him on the earth, like they really think they could, you know, battle Jesus with the sword of his mouth. So is that the word of God? It's an interesting thing because it's not the same word that we see in Hebrews for the word of God is like a two-edged sword. It's a different Greek word that's used there. It's an interesting thing. So Jesus comes back. Jesus comes back. He throws Antichrist, false prophet, into the pit. He captures Satan... The dragon, I mean, you know, the Bible uses a number of different um, titles for him just in the book of Revelation. And he binds him for a thousand years. Then there's a thousand year reign. You might be here, oh, I don't, you believe that garbage? It's not garbage, and yes, I believe it, because there have been, this is why you need to be students of the word of God. See, guys, Bible is not, there is poetry. There is poetry. Some of the psalms, you might consider them poetry. It's really songs more than poetry. But when the Bible talks about the wolf and the lamb lying together, you know, and the, and the infant putting his hand in the viper's den and all of these types of things, this is not poetry. This is a description of what will take place during the thousand-year reign of Christ, Christ reigning upon the earth for a thousand years. And there'll still be people who have their opinions about him, even during that thousand-year reign. Because at the end of the thousand years, Satan is released, and there's a rebellion among people who lived under the perfect environment of Christ's reign. And they'll be dealt with and cast. You say, so then that's the end. No, 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 that's not the end. Then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth because the old heaven and the old earth has passed away. Do you see, guys, the, the Bible has so much to say about what's coming. 
And, and when Jesus comes and he sets up his kingdom upon the earth, it will truly be the prince of peace ruling and reigning. Oh, it's going to be glorious. I can't wait for it. It's going to be wonderful. But Jesus said, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth now, first advent, first coming. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father. You have any conflicts with your dad? Any issues with your dad? Maybe after you came to faith in Christ, were there some issues between you and your dad? A man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law. I don't even know why you'd have to put this in. <laughs> I'm joking. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. They say, Lord, what's up with this? What's he talking about? And then he says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. It's a paradox. Well, it's really not. I mean, once you've truly come to faith in Christ, I think that many of us, have experienced that. There's been a break. There's been a breakdown. I was raised in San Diego, had lots of friends. Uh, we lived in a neighborhood where the majority of the kids, kind of my age, we all got along together. It was not uncommon to have uh, football games in the street and just kind of hang out with each other, you know. It was just a neighborhood that we lived in. And uh, when I became a Christian, I shared the gospel with as many of those folks and guys, gals that I went to high school with and knew after high school. And um, not one of them were happy that I became a Christian. Many of them said, you know, Danny, you're, you, you've always been dabbling in spiritual things, you know, and this is just another phase. This will pass too, you know. But none of them. In time, there were some that kind of came around and, and uh, seemed to have a profession of faith, but it really didn't last long, you know. They kind of had that when they were around me, but not really in their day-to-day -day life. One friend, it wasn't until just a few years ago, uh, one of my buddies, we surfed together all the time, and Mike Saylor, he had come to faith during the whole COVID madness. He contacted me. Uh, on Facebook. I've never been on Facebook in my life, but the church has a Facebook. And so uh, Nate or, or Marielle said, uh, you know, Dad, here, you got to read this. This is from your friend Mike, you know. And I thought, oh, praise the Lord. And then he died, had a heart attack and died, you know. But the point is, is that we've experienced those things. People experience those things. You know, we support uh, some pastors in India. We support some children that were raised in an orphanage, uh, orphanages in India because their parents died of AIDS. You know that AIDS is a killer, man, in, in India, places like India and Africa. And, um, and 
many of the Hindu people or Muslim people or, you know, in other countries, when they come to faith in Christ, there is no celebration. I mean, you know, it's not like dad's just upset with you or mom's disappointed in you. You know, there's a funeral. You're dead. And in some cases, they might even try to take your life. And so when you consider the reality of this, you say, oh, Jesus, now I understand. i got to wrap this up real quick. Here's the point. Do not be surprised when there's division between you and others who have not placed their faith in Christ. And beware, because there is a subtle lie. It comes from hell. And the lie has been bought by many professing Christians and churches. And that lie is, if anyone's going to compromise, if anyone's going to budge, it must be the Christian. So the Christian compromises. What do you think about this? Oh, I don't really have an opinion about that. Though the Bible's clear on that particular subject. And we pretend that we don't really personally have an opinion on that thing, you know. Well, if I would have been a asked, you know, when the scriptures were written and God was laying down these things, I would have suggested that. I've heard a pastor say that. How arrogant of the guy, you know. But the church and the Christian, they compromise. And for those who compromise their biblical beliefs and convictions, my question to you is, has your compromising led anyone to a genuine faith in Jesus Christ? And the answer is, no, no. I remember when Tracy and I were young, you know, married a short time, and, and Tracy had a, a friend that she knew from high school, and, and uh, they kind of sought us out because they had heard that, that I had come to faith in Christ, and so, uh, you know, she was happy for Tracy that her husband was a believer. And, and, and we got together with her and her husband for a little bit, and then, you know, back then, they talked about this ministry they had, and they were kind of meeting up with people in their apartment complex and everything down there in San Diego. And what they were doing is they were just getting loaded with people. They're smoking pot, but sharing the gospel as they do it. And I remember Tracy and I, you know, sitting down with them and saying, you, you can't do this. Oh, Danny, you know, it's amazing how people really open up. I say, I don't doubt that they're opening up. But, but, but this, is, this is not the way to do it. You don't compromise. Your, that's part of who you were in the world. That's not of who you are now. So we don't use those same tactics, you know. We don't use that same thing. That's a part of the old man. And, and I remember there was a division between us because they thought we were just being hard-nosed Christians and we are just simply trying to be believers, not intoxicated. You know what I mean? I mean, it, to me, it was just like a no-brainer type of thing. But we need to be careful because we're not really leading anyone to faith in Christ by compromising. We stand our ground. I found in my own life, and I'm sure that you found this to be true as well, that you have things said about you. You guys, come on up for the last song, please. You might have people come against you and say all sorts of mean things about you because you stand your ground in those things and, oh, you're a killjoy and, you know, why do you have to be such uh, whatever, you know. And you hear the criticisms, but in time, in time, it might take a long time, but in time, 
you might have some of those same people come back to you and say, you stood upon your convictions. I, I've, uh, you know, we have, um, you know, in any family, you have X this and X that, you know. They used to be a part of the family. They're no longer part of the family through marriage and stuff like that. And, and I had a, um, a, an ex-brother-in-law, uh, and um, I was talking to his daughter, and he said, um, she said, Uncle Danny, um, my dad said, he said, you know, Danny is a man of God. He was a man of God in his 20s. And he said, it used to drive me crazy. Um, it was a hard time because my dad at that time, um, you know, my brother-in-law kind of became like his drinking buddy. And so they had this like rapport on that level. And because I had come to faith in Christ, it was like, I was done with those things. You know, but before I was legal to actually do those things, I had been doing those things since I was early teens, you know. But by the time I had come to faith in Christ, I mean, that stuff was behind me. And it was a hard thing. And I used to say to my wife, I used to say, gosh, it's so hard. I feel like my dad and my, you know, brother-in-law, they seem closer than, than my dad and I are. But that same man came and he, and he complimented the fact that I was a man of conviction, even though he doesn't share those same convictions. And that's what we want, because things are getting dark. And the hope is the people that have resisted and they've held out, and I'm not, you know, not going to believe. And I'll tell you, when the days get dark or when they're dealing with some heavy thing in their life, maybe it's a sickness or a disease or you know, pending death or whatever, you know what I find? They seem to be the ones knocking. They seem to be the ones calling. They seem to be the ones to say, can I talk to you about these things? Because they believe that we're the people who have the goods, you know, the eternal goods, <laughs> because we've placed our faith in Christ. So we want to be people like that. Amen? Amen? All right, let's stand together. Father, help us to be men and women of conviction, men and women of your word, to stand upon the truth of your word, and to be the light and salt that you've called us to be. Sharing the gospel as we go out among people, loving people. Would you give us a love for people, Lord? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.